0: But what about this moment in yeah. the Thieves Death Time? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the um, fourth game, right? Uncharted 4, A Thieves Death Time? Uh A Thief's End. A Thieves Death Time, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Got it in one. <laughs> that might be the intro. <laughs> Everybody and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. Dylan as always. And this is an exciting episode because this is the first episode that we're recording after we release episode one. Uh, I mentioned in like our little coda thing at the beginning of last episode that we recorded a little bit of a backlog to cover some life events. Uh, and so this is the first episode that we are recording having had the show be listened to, yeah, and it's really cool. Like, a lot of people, mostly my friends, have been telling me (laughs) that they really like it, but also some people I don't know, so, like...
1: My aunt says she likes it, even though she doesn't know what the hell we're talking about. That's all I've ever wanted, so
0: does my (laughs) girlfriend. She doesn't understand, like, half of this shit, but yet she (laughs) enjoys listening to
1: us, so, hey... Hopefully, hopefully we're starting a train that'll keep on rolling. <laughs> yeah,
0: seriously though to anyone who has listened to our first couple, particularly ra- the first very rambly episode uh, thank you so much for listening, thank you so much for uh, everything that you're doing because we're doing this because we want to share our ideas with people,
1: so thank you, you for being with, those people. If you've stuck with us for this long, I, I cannot thank you enough. <laughs> yeah. um, So Dylan, I'm very
0: excited to tell you that as of next week, I'm pretty sure that this show will be backstage gaming hosted by Dylan and Chance the Rapper.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh yes, tell me about this story. So,
0: it's I was at this studio uh, in Chicago where I'm taking my voiceover class, (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I got there a little bit early, and I'm just chilling. Uh, It's a very nice recording studio, so there's like a plush leather armchair that I'm lounging in, like reading the news on my phone or something. Fancy. And I see just a couple guys walking towards me, more specifically walking towards the studio door that I'm, that the chair I'm in is right next to. And being the kindly corn-fed Midwestern boy that I am, I look up and nod and say, hey, how's it going? And both of them sort of nod back, and they're like, doing well, man, how about you? And they walk into the room, and about three seconds pass, and then something, like, I feel something click in my brain, and I go, in my mind... Holy crap, that was Chance the Rapper. <laughs> <laughs> and then, not five minutes later, the man that went into the booth with Mr. the Rapper comes back out, and he comes out just shrouded in the dankest cloud that I have ever <laughs> smelled. <laughs> Which that good
1: good. And
0: be- because both, there is a sizable likelihood that both my father and my grandmother are listening, It's the only cloud I've ever smelled. (laughs) But I think... (laughs) I think that according to weed law...
1: Ah, yes, the weed law, as written by our ancestors.
0: Snoop Doggy Dog. Snoop Doggy Dog. (laughs) According to Snoop Dog's weed rules, this greeting followed by me imbibing his pot leavings means that Mr. The Rapper and I are going to Freaky Friday sometime soon, and I'm so excited for it. (laughs)
1: Wonderful. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> so water drinking audio. Oh yeah, got got that little water a sippy sip on on my Yeah,
0: also because I am a uh, consummate professional who cares deeply about audio quality, I had a big bowl of ice cream right before we started recording.
1: <laughs> so if
0: you hear my if you hear my words trail off into a death
1: rattle at any point, now you know why. <laughs> like I was going to drink milk for dinner like as as my beverage of choice this dinner and I was like no I shouldn't do that because I care <laughs> but here you go eating ice cream okay like not 30 minutes ago Chris what am I supposed to drink with my cornbread <laughs> water like a savage that's what I drink
0: <laughs> oh this episode is off to a flying start I love it <laughs> Tell me, you said you had election day stories off off uh, mic.
1: Like they're they're nothing major. Uh, the the first major thing, major. Uh, the first thing that happened was you know as I'm driving to cast my vote, uh, it's it's just been a generally windy day. So like trees were falling over. It felt like there was a block at every road, <laughs> and I was just like, wow, the opposing team. I'm not going to say who because I don't know. I don't want to alienate our. The GOP. Sorry. (laughs) The GOP must really know how to control the weather.
0: Welcome to Backstage Gaming, a political podcast.
1: Uh, stop it. (laughs) But anyway. But, um, the same thing happened to my friend, Dean, who, you know, he only has one way into his neighborhood. So he is now staying at my house. He's in the basement. I'm on the second floor. So Wait, he can't get home? He can't get home, no. What the fuck?
0: (laughs) What is happening to your roads? Is it raining like construction signs?
1: I- I'm telling you, man. the The Republicans are really angry that we went out and voted today. Apparently, we'll show those
0: youths. We'll oh. quarantine their homes.
1: Also, to date this podcast, yes, this is this was recorded on election day.
0: Yep. Now you know exactly <laughs> when temporally we are. Um, <laughs> but it is still pre-results, so if you, if we sound really anxious. <laughs> I'm
1: burying it under this enthusiasm. (laughs) Um, But this is a
0: video game podcast. We talk about games and we talk about theater because we're actors and we sort of compare and contrast. And we have... Our topic today is literally a text message I sent Dylan in all caps at like 11 o'clock at night. I just texted him, all caps, EPISODE IDEA, UNCHARTED THE MUSICAL. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what we're doing, because...
1: And naturally, I just said yes, in all caps, because, yeah, you, uh, you take it away.
0: Yeah, to to sort of fill you in on why I had this fever dream, um, I was thinking about musical theater for some reason. Uh, full disclaimer, I am not really a musical theater actor. Like, I've done some musical theater, but I also talk way down here, and my voice doesn't go all that much higher than this. And so, not really a lot of roles for me, but... I like musicals, and I like thinking about them, and I was thinking about the way that they do pacing. And I had the realization that a musical number in a good piece of musical theater fills roughly the same storytelling purpose as a good set piece in a game, or in a film for that matter. And that sent me directly to Uncharted, because there was an interview I came across like years ago, back when they were making Uncharted 3... Uh, about how they wrote that game by coming up with the set pieces and then stringing them together with plot.
1: <laughs>
0: um,
1: for better or worse, as yeah. we'll try to get into. <laughs> uh,
0: so we got, we've got a little bit of uh, homework to do, a little bit of our sort of breakdown stuff. I figured to start, Dylan, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Uncharted series for us
1: uninitiated? Right. Um, so this is for my aunt who doesn't know what a video game is. Um is that but, one of those arcade cabinets what with the rolling ball? The Nintendo, you say. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Aunt Judy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh so anyway, the Uncharted it was a trilogy, now it's a a cycle, is that what four games are? The Uncharted uh. series is a they're they're kind of video game Indiana Jones. Uh so you play as He's not an archaeologist for all intents and purposes. He is a grave robber. But um, <clears throat> you play as debonair adventurer, we'll go with that, uh, Nathan Drake, who is this very charming, charismatic person. And as he is looking for these great treasures, the, the first game was about the hidden treasure of Sir Nathan Drake, uh, N- Sir Francis Drake. Okay, so he Nathan Drake is the descendant of Sir Francis Drake. So he is on a quest to find Sir Francis Drake's hidden treasure. Um, and spoiler alert, he does, and it's not what you think it is. Just like the Ark of the Covenant or the Holy Grail. Um, yeah.
0: the, the Uncharted series is one of the only game series for which I think the incredibly non-descriptive action-adventure genre is actually really good. Yeah. Like, there's not much else to say about it as far as, like, the tone. Like, it's playing... Indiana Jones or any of the movies that sort of aped that aesthetic that Indiana Jones established. Sahara, um... Even something like The Rocketeer. Like, The Rocketeer was very much set in, like, that same tonal world.
1: Yeah. Um, just just very swashbuckling, I think, is a good term for it. Yeah. Um, but these games are built around, like, you'll run and
0: you'll climb and you'll shoot some guys from behind barrels, but then they also build in these very big interactive to semi-interactive cutscene moments where, like, something yeah. incredibly dramatic and tense is happening a la, you know, Jones running from the boulder at the beginning of uh, *Rage of the Lost Ark. There's a lot of running from things in Uncharted. <laughs> <laughs> and so they sort of build these games around the tension of, like, when is the next death-defying set piece going to come up, which is very similar to how in musicals it's all about the tension going from, you know, when, not only just when is the next song going to come up, but like, what are the stakes of the next song going to be? Why is the next song going to come up? And before we can get really deep into that, our sort of mini theater lesson of the week, uh, yes. we're going to get a little more granular the next, the next time? Last time. <laughs> Two episodes ago, we talked about the concept of sort of the action of a story. Uh, to flash back to that good example we came up with for god of war 2018 you could say that the action of that game's story is kratos tries to lay his wife to rest or kratos tries to fulfill his wife's last wishes like that is what all of the action all of the things that kratos is doing comes back to is his desire to like i gotta scatter my wife's ashes where she said she wanted them scattered and so a good story from a character's point of view is always going to come back to like there's something concrete that the character is trying to do but frequently that is not, like, the immediate thing. We have to take it sort of one level more granular. So if the big picture is what you're trying to do the whole time, then you take it down to individual scenes, or I guess in games typically we might say, like, individual encounters, and you have to come up with, like, all right, what am I doing right now that is in service of getting the big thing that I want? And this is what... There's a lot of different terms for it because there's a lot of different people that teach acting. Uh, Dylan and I came from a school that referred to it as your objective. Yes. Your objective in a scene. You'll frequently hear, if you ever have watched or consumed media, you will probably have heard like an actor playing an actor say, but what's my motivation? <laughs> That's what he's talking about, essentially. Yes. Except What am I after useful. in this
1: scene? Why am I saying the things I say? Why am I doing the things you're having me do? what is the logic behind all of this?
0: Exactly. And so then when you take the step back and you put all of those different moment-to-moment scene objectives together, they all make sense leading one an- one into another and they all are clearly related to that big goal, but that big goal isn't always obviously useful in a scene. To use our God of War example, like there's a moment when Kratos and his son are trapped in a mine and they need to get an elevator to start working. And, like, yes, their goal is still to go and scatter the ashes, but that's not particularly useful at that moment, so their scene objective would be figure out how to get the elevator to work.
1: I'm sorry, I just had the the mental image of Kratos, like, wailing on Baldur and being like, I need to scatter my wife! <laughs> <laughs> you, you bastard! <laughs> uh,
0: but... There's a lot more that can be said about objectives, and I'm sure that we will say that in other scenes. Uh we've got a couple different episodes in the works where we're gonna do some like pretty nitty gritty scene analysis, which I'm very excited for. I'm very um, excited
1: for that. I need to start playing it.
0: But the other side of this uh of the coin that we want to talk about today is uh there are a couple of more of those like component building blocks of storytelling that go all the way back to my main man Aristotle. Um and <laughs> Sorry, that's this you' expecting that. <laughs> There is a concept uh, that is referred to as the recognition and the reversal. And this is, in the simplest terms that I can think of to come up with it, your recognition is the moment that you realize that you either have gotten or will not get your objective. So in classic example that everyone has seen, I hope, Star Wars Episode Five, The scene in Cloud City when... Darth Vader is talking to Luke, and he said, like, "Luke, I am your father. Join me." Blah blah blah. Luke has, he goes there with an with an objective. His objective is to rescue Han and slash or kill Vader, like fight Vader. He has a moment of recognition when Vader reveals that he is his father. This is a new piece of information that Luke did not have before that changes everything about what he's trying to do. Yes. This is immediately followed by his reversal. He came there with his goal being fight Vader. He learns this thing, he has his recognition, and his objective changes. The reversal being this moment where something important is revealed to the character and what they want changes. And typically, that change stays within that sort of broad action of the play. It's going to stay consistent with that, but you're getting a different moment-to-moment thing that you need to do. So any story, you're going to have these moments of a character learning something new, and that thing changing what they're after. Uh, and these are typically very big story beats. Like, there are going to be a lot of little tiny recognitions and reversals scattered throughout a story, but typically climaxes of stories and big uh, plot twists and changes in direction for stories are going to hinge on these kinds of structures.
1: Right. There, um, there's typically a recognition reversal before intermission. Um, maybe not reversal, but like there, there's a huge plot twist that will shake everything up before intermission and then there will be another one before the end of the play
0: yeah in if we're talking more about like screen structure typically Mm -hmm. you'll get one like you'll get a big one at the act one break where like the actual action of the story takes off you'll usually get another one around the midpoint or like what's it called like the cave if you're using campbell's model Where, like, the the hero is at their darkest moment, and then you'll get another one at, like, the climax when things resolve. So, like, you can look for them in lots of stories, and you'll find them there. What's interesting about musicals, and one of the things that I both think is very interesting, and also for me and the way that I like to act very unappealing, Mm. a good musical puts the recognition and reversal in the songs. And that is a really cool, but also for me, because that is the moment that I most enjoy, like, the act of parsing apart as an actor. Like, that's one of the reasons that I'm not as into musicals, though I also know some people for, like, that is why they love them. It's, right. a lot of this kind of stuff comes down to taste. Not all musicals do this. Uh, we're right now not really talking about opera, because in opera everything is sung. And also I know very little about opera. Um, yeah, could not help you there. Yeah. Nor are we really talking about, like, operettas. Think things like Phantom of the Opera or, like, uh, Hamilton, technically. Like, it's a rapperetta.
1: That's not a word. That sounded really dumb. It is now. Parappa no. the rapperetta. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's I, Is that our next episode? <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: but so you get, you know, I'm there's a lot of things that I'm not going to be able to talk about as much, but... I think a great example of a musical that does this really well, that also more or less anyone who's into musicals will have seen is Fiddler on the Roof. It's also enough of a cultural touchstone that I feel like I can probably talk about it and keep most of you with me if you haven't seen it. Um, Fiddler has these really cool conceits wherein particularly like the first act of the play is all about Tevye, the main character, and his daughters, and his daughters finding... Love in places that fall outside of sort of the traditional model of this community, this Jewish community in Russia, and all of these sort of hinge on conversations with Tevya that are songs, and they do this really cool thing where these songs are all about this build up of like Tevya getting more and more information that is going against his model of how the world works, and then the song will end, and Tevya will have a brief moment of conversation with himself slash with god in which he goes like on the one hand on the other hand and he like what you you see him and you hear him weighing the pros and cons and then coming to his recognition and reversal right in front of you in a very deliberate and very visible
1: way okay so i have not seen fiddler on the roof and that is really cool
0: <laughs> it's phenomenal you should go so it's, it's like a
1: musical monologue for all and purposes? Yes
0: and no. Like, it's really, like, it'll be a song. Like, there's a, mm-hmm. like, Tevye's daughter singing to him about uh, okay. this romantic interest that she has and him, like, not really being about it until it reaches a point where he realizes how serious she is and mm. then, like, the world okay. stops. Okay. And Tevye okay. looks at the camera and, like, has a little soliloquy moment where he's like, goes back and forth on what this means and... Mm then comes to a choice out of it. And it's like a very cool deconstruction of this whole like process of storytelling. Yeah, okay. Um, there's also like my favorite moment in Fiddler on the Roof, hands down, maybe my favorite moment in all of musical theater, is there is a song called Do You Love Me? Okay. Uh, so much of this play is about, again, the contrast between this traditional way of living and the new way of living that his daughter's generation is starting to go into. Mm-hmm. And so after his second daughter arranges her own marriage and like goes off with the person that she actually wants to be with and not the person that's the best match for the family. Mm-hmm. Tevia is at home alone with his wife and starts singing this song called "Do You Love me?" And these two characters in this song realize for the first time that they actually have romantic like love for each other. you know they they say in the song several times that they've been married for 25 years and this is the first conversation about love that they ever have, and in this song, you see that recognition and that reversal take place, and it's, like, an incredible moment of theater, and, like, and honestly, like, just go look up on YouTube, Do You Love Me?, because it is a really profound piece of musical theater that I think is really cool, and I haven't ever really seen anything else pull it off quite that well, but that's sort of the framework that we're talking about, this idea that in a good musical, These musical set pieces, these songs, are there to allow a more obvious moment of change in a character. A more obvious moment of change in the world sometimes. Um, A good example of that version is, like, in Hamilton. The song, what's it called? The World Turned Upside Down is the tagline, but I don't know if that's actually what it's called. It's called The Battle of Yorktown. That's what it is. I got there. (laughs) (laughs) It's the song where... Spoiler alert! I guess for American history, the U.S. wins the Revolutionary <laughs> War, and you get all of these little moments of like character change, but it's a song in which kind of the world of the play is having its own recognition and reversal, and that's also a very cool thing that they build in there. Um, but to get back to games, because we are a gaming podcast, ostensibly, ultimately, let's, let's talk about if and when Uncharted does that. If and when the Uncharted games in their set pieces are following sort of that set piece model or, if not, what they are doing and what they are accomplishing from a story point of view because we're nerds and that's what we care about. Yes.
1: Now, as a huge disclaimer, I want to make clear that um, Chris doesn't own a PS3 or PS4. It's true. And I have played the Uncharted games multiple times but the last time I really touched them was back in college, which is now almost three or four years ago. <laughs> so, this is, a lot of this is coming from memory. I did watch- I did skim through a playthrough of Uncharted 2 to brush up some of that game's points, because that's my favorite one, and that's the one I feel most at liberty to talk about. But I just want the audience to know anyone who is familiar with Uncharted and is, like, upset, like, why didn't they talk about that, or you got this wrong? I'm sorry. Yeah. We, I love you. We
0: as much as I think both of us would love this to be our full-time job, it can't be. Like if I could just like sit on my butt and play video games and like write down nerdy ideas about them to talk about into a microphone, like yes, please, but unfortunately it's not. I don't know if it'll be next week or the week after, but we are working on something a little more in depth that we are but we are both doing a replay of the game involved for uh, that I that will am hopefully so be very excited. exciting. Go look up or Hell, buy and play the game Iconoclasts. It's super cool. Please, please,
1: please. It is so good and super underrated.
0: Yeah, it is a big sleeper hit. Um, It was like a passion project of one dude for seven years. It's really, 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 really good. And we're going to go really deep on it either next week or the week after, depending on how things
1: come out. So, I guess the first thing I kind of was thinking of when I was going through Uncharted 2 is the idea of an opening number. Um, Which, from my understanding... Um, an opening number is, is kind of like a welcome to our world. This is the style of the music that we are playing. This is a taste of everything that's to come. We have yeah. a little bit of a, a roll call for the upcoming cast members. Not necessarily for every musical. Yeah, um, but
0: that's, I mean, there's the whole idea of, like, I don't know how frequently this is done anymore. I have not been lucky enough to see many, like, brand new musicals, mm-hmm. but... Especially in, like, older, you know, the old Rodgers and Hammerstein era, there's this idea of the overture. Like, the lights go down, the audience is seated, and then you get, like, a quick and dirty, like, greatest hits compilation of the entire show before the curtain even rises. So that you... Again, it's like you're saying, it's building in, like, what the audience can expect the world of this
1: story to feel like. And the reason why I was thinking of this was, um, like, about half a year ago I saw Aladdin uh, in uh, Cleveland's Playhouse Square. Uh, Playhouse Theater, rather. And, you know, when they when they were doing Arabian Nights, uh, all of the cast was there. They all had, like, their little song and dance. Um, you know, everyone waves at the audience. It's great. It's wonderful. I'm watching Aladdin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> How is that musical, by the way? I've been really meaning to see it. It's pretty good. I think it has, you know, it has the problems that we were talking about that we feel with some musicals where it's kind of like, oh, now we're having an obligatory song now. Yeah. Um, but, like, you know, that being said, I didn't go to see Disney's Aladdin for uh, <laughs> the pacing. I grew up with Aladdin. I love Aladdin. Like, I love the bombast of the music. It's one of my favorite Disney soundtracks. It's really um, good. You know, I was seeing it for that and, like, the costumes, all of that. Like, great. Great lighting. The The magic carpet. A whole new world scene. Really good. I, I feel like they must have rigged some sort of machine under the catwalk because I, I don't know how they did it. <laughs> it looks really cool. Um, good show, good show. The opening scene is, in Uncharted 2 at least, is Nathan Drake wakes up, he is bleeding profusely from his stomach, and he is on a train that is hanging off the side of a mountain, (laughs) and that is the first set piece. Uh, this is to contrast with the first Uncharted, which kind of starts, like, rather mundanely. Um, Drake finds, Sir Francis Drake's not coffin, because he's not actually in the coffin, And it has a clue to a treasure, and then they get attacked by pirates, and you have your first gunfight. Um, Uncharted 2, on the other hand, starts out with, like, you climbing up this train as it is actively about to fall off this cliff. And you, like, as you learn more controls, Drake is... His adrenaline starting to kick in more and more, and it's a really intense tone-setter for the rest of the game. (laughs) Because, like I said earlier, the first game is more or less... It's Indiana Jones, and it has that same level of, like, lightheartedness and camp that Indiana Jones has. But the second game is kind of more like a, you know, Nathan Drake's kind of like a, he's a criminal, guys. He's like a <laughs> grave robber and shit. And he murders like, a lot of people. He, you know, he he's not a savory character, so we are going to put him in unsavory conditions. Yeah, I, I think the opening of Uncharted 2 does that extremely well. That's really interesting, and it... It has me thinking of other, like,
0: really good, like, cold opens. Like, the one that immediately came to my mind was, uh, Casino Royale. Mmm. Like, Casino Royale maybe has the best cold open of any James Bond movie.
1: (laughs) I remember Quantum of Solace, you know, say what you will about it as a movie, but I remember Quantum of Solace having a really hot opening. (laughs) I don't remember Quantum of Solace at all. It literally starts with a car chase. Like, it is a smash cut to the (laughs) middle of a car chase.
0: Yeah, the Bond movies do a real... Like, all of the Bond movies do a really good job of this. Even, like, even like the Pierce Brosnan Bonds, which, like, again, say what you will about them as films, like, they knew how to set exactly the tone that they were going for. And, like, a good musical is going to do that same thing. Like, think about um, Wicked. Like, Wicked Mm. has kind of become passé, but, like, when it came out, it was the biggest deal. And... It's interesting to look at what it did, but, like, you know, it opens with no one mourns the wicked, and it's this big, like, mournful sort of dirge for the Wicked Witch of the West, but the audience knows coming into it that, like, that's who our show is about. So it's immediately setting up, like, the stakes for how the witch leaves the world so that you can then set up that contrast for seeing her before all of that happens. And so, like, that's an interesting point that I hadn't considered about, the way that Uncharted, the Uncharted games open. Like, do they do do a very good job of getting you exactly ready for what's coming. And then, again, disclaimer, I haven't played this game, but I've read many articles about Uncharted 4, uh, the way that that game begins with you sitting on a couch and playing a video game and, like, being done with all of this rapscallion many-people-murdering time. It's setting up a world for it then to invert
1: when Nathan invariably gets back into the grift. So so I'm gonna be honest, I completely forgot that's how Uncharted 4 opened. So I f- I'm th- thank you for filling in the uh the blacks, because yeah. blacks. filling in the <laughs> blanks. I don't think we can keep that in the episode. <laughs> it's fine, <laughs> I said it. I'm black. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: filling in the blanks and uh I was just going to say that the cold open of Uncharted 3 was a bar fight, which is cool. Like, it's it's a really cool thing, but I also don't know if it sets the scene as well for the rest of the game. I, I guess it does a little bit, but Uncharted... I, I was never super passionate about Uncharted 3, I just wanted to throw that out there. Anyway, um, something I'm thinking about in regards to Uncharted is that some of its... Or at least, like, some of the... Uh, Some of the character moments... Or not character moments, I'm sorry. Let me do a complete reset. (laughs) So, something I noticed about Uncharted 2 is that some of the set pieces that they advertised in, like, game trailers and stuff, they are usually the direct result of a character choice that Drake makes. Which isn't exactly how um, musical theater goes, but I, I guess it is an escalation of, like, decisions made. So... You could you could go either way depending on like the set piece in question, but the the first really noticeable set piece I can think of in Uncharted Two is um, Nathan Drake is with his old his old partner Flynn. I don't remember what his first name is. It's probably not important. No one likes him, um, and they're they're robbing a museum, and Drake is betrayed at the very end by Flynn. And so the first big set piece of Uncharted Two is you running away from and evading the museum security in in I think it's I want to say it's in an in Indian nation it's somewhere in Asia. That's really cool. And I assume, correct me if I'm wrong, but is that do they
0: force you to be non lethal in that set piece? They do. Um, That's rad. Well, good. They, A plus.
1: They do and they, do they don't. um Um, so
0: hang on i don't think you get to cherry pick that
1: (laughs) well no hear me out hear me out so you know the flavor text or whatever is like you know you have like these single shot sleep dart guns um so you have to be like very smart about like how you shoot them when you shoot because when you get detected at this point in the game it is the only part of the game where it happens like that um if you're caught then you uh you're it's it's an instant like reset to whatever your last checkpoint is but um so you know you can shoot them with sleep darts but like you can also do non-lethal takedowns but the problem is the non-lethal takedowns have the same animation as the lethal takedowns (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) so it's just like oh yeah
0: nathan lake like nathan drake creeping up behind a guard and like doing the classic like Hand, hand, neck, snap, and then no, being exactly, like, Sleep exactly. Tight.
1: You that that when that security guard wakes up, he's not gonna have a neck anymore. Ten thousand years. <laughs> hey, that's what we call a comeback. Call back. <laughs> wow, I <talk>. god <laughs> Um. Anywho. Uh. So, a the the next major. Uh set piece that I want to talk about, uh, happens a a couple hours later, so Nathan Drake has a new love interest for Uncharted 2, her name is Chloe, uh, she's an old flame slash partner of Nathan Drake, and they, they lost touch and have gotten back in touch for this heist that they're trying to do, uh, they're trying to find Shambhala, uh, not super important, but I figure the audience would like context, so they, uh, they're, they're going through this town, and who else do they run into but Elena Fisher, love interest from the first game, Ace Reporter, and Drake's old Flame. So uh, she's with her cameraman, who I think his name is Jake or something. They obviously didn't care about the character too much. But um, essentially, like, so the four of them are, you know, evading terror, uh, this mercenary army that is also trying to find Shambhala. And they're in, like, this war-torn... I think it's Tibet uh, and no I think it's Nepal it's Nepal and so they are it eventually escalates to uh, Elena's cameraman getting shot and so Chloe's you know Chloe being a grave robber and a thief and not very scrupulous is like we get we got to get out of here like leave him behind and Elena's like you can't just leave him and so Drake has to make the moral decision of, do I take this dying man or do I save myself like, you know, a professional would?
0: And do they um, put
1: that decision in the hands of the player? Uh, They do not, because Dang. I mean, Un- Uncharted. I mean, good, Uncharted's, because
0: Uncharted is a game that is much more about story than not about player choice.
1: Yeah. Like, Uncharted is living out a the fantasy of being in an Indiana Jones movie. It is not the fantasy of being Indiana Jones. Yeah. Um... So in that way it's it's a lot like being an actor. You are you are following the script. And so naturally Drake takes this man and so the this is like the first like big set piece they advertised after the train hanging off the mountain where you are you know you are making your way through this war torn city and mercenaries are shooting at you at like every corner and you have this dying cameraman under your other arm. So you are limited to a sidearm Uh, I think it's, like, a 9mm pistol or whatever. And that... I I don't really have, like, a whole lot to elaborate on that, but it's kind of this interesting look on, like, this is the decision he made, like, and now we are going to build on it and expand that until the eventual consequence happens, which is they get caught by the mercenaries, um, Jeff gets shot, and Chloe... Yes, Chloe, uh, to save her own skin, and also technically to save theirs, uh, pretends like she tracked them down and is working for the mercenaries. She's she's kind of a double agent.
0: Gotcha. That's an interesting example, because I think that that does sort of fit into the sort of model that we built out of, you know, our, our flimsy theater scaffolding uh, of, like, <laughs> this set piece is a moment of, recognition and reversal for drake he is faced with a choice he has to make a choice and that choice is a change of course for him compared to what he has been up to that point in the story this is a man who kills a lot of people
1: and like, like the story- it has become it has become like a very famous in joke that like a lot of people like to say narrative dissonance when referring to uncharted because you play as this suave debonair like every man Who also has a body count at the end of every game of like a thousand maybe more.
0: Yep Uh, to define very quickly ludonarrative dissonance is a term used to describe the phenomenon of the things that a game asks you to do as a player being in contrast with what the game is trying to say or the story the game is trying to tell Uh,
1: and like I don't necessarily think it is that much of a dissonance when you are playing an action movie, but I, yeah. I get where people are coming from. Yeah. I I think that a lot of times that term is thrown
0: around willy nilly a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um in fact I now that I'm saying this, I want to do an episode about that regarding one of the first games that it was brought to bear on, which
1: is Bioshock, but that is neither here nor mm. there. Okay. Um cool. Yeah, uh the the next big set piece is, you know, it it's hard to say the next big set piece because in Uncharted Two, like every 30 45 minutes there's a big set piece but i'm more or less going off of what naughty dog advertised what people remember from this game yeah things that i think are very distinct character moments for drake so drake is going through the city with elena now reporter girl to remind people i i don't know i feel obligated to do that um and so you know they're trying to just get out of the city but Drake is like, no, we have to rescue Chloe, and Elena's like, why? Because, <laughs> you know, she, uh, as far as she's concerned, Chloe pulled out a gun on them and is now working for the other team. Yeah. Fair uh, question
0: for Chloe, for uh, for Elena.
1: Yeah, but but Drake knows that like she's kind of playing both sides, and you know, is hoping that ultimately she is loyal to him. But like, you know, uh, among thieves, honor among thieves. There is no honor among thieves. That's why the subtitle for Uncharted that's, 2 is Among Thieves. That's the tagline. Yeah, I know. It's, it's cool. <laughs> I love you all. So the this whole this all culminates in what is the most famous part of Uncharted 2 is the train sequence. So the beginning is in in Media Res. Um the, the beginning with Drake waking up unconscious on the train off the mountain is in, in, in media res in opening. And so by the time we actually get to the train, the reason it's he's doing that is because Drake is like, Chloe's on that train. I know that, like, eventually she'll get caught. I have to save her. And so the train is very famous because not only is it a a high point for the story, but it is also a technical marvel where, like, it I remember at the time it was one of the most technically impressive things done in gaming. Uh just to have like Drake the way Drake's physics work on the train, how it affects his jumps, uh various things oh, like, they, like that. Oh they like they
0: built a whole like unique physics engine that was capable of like
1: I don't know accounting
0: spi- for or like I guess neither of us are game designers. We can't really know what they built, but like it, it accounts yeah. for like momentum and such with the train. Yeah. That's yeah.
1: really cool. I love that. And it is just so uncharted's divided into chapters and I want to say three of them are just on the train. Um and you know, you're on this train and it's it's like looping um it's looping terrain but like once you like pass a certain threshold on the train, the terrain changes. So you start out in this jungle and then you get to a tunnel and then once you're out of the tunnel, uh I think you're over a lake. And, like, stuff like that. And it just keeps building and building until you reach the climax of this train level and you are fighting this heavily armored dude with a Gatling gun. Or maybe it was a shotgun, but who cares? Like, it it is crazy and you're at the top of the mountain and Chloe is in the next cart and you just gotta fight through it. And eventually you you manage to power through. You as a player are probably super exhausted at this point. (laughs) It is literally the final song at the end of act one for a musical theater. Uh, for, a, for a musical, I should just leave it at that. And you finally get to Chloe and she pulls a gun on you and says, you shouldn't have come here. <laughs> and shoots you in the stomach. She doesn't... I don't think oh. she shoots you in the stomach, but Flynn does. Gotcha. Uh, and so, you know, she's trying to play both sides. She's trying to make it act like she's loyal to the mercenaries, but Flynn shoots you, you're unconscious, and... Eventually, like, you, I don't remember how exactly it happens, but you wake up right where we established. And for all intents and purposes, that is kind of where Act 2 would pick up, were this a musical. Yeah, that's,
0: and that's a really common thing, is, like, you you want this, like, big build of suspense and tension and rising action. And in musical theater, that's usually accomplished through... Like the fi- the closing act one song in a lot of musicals will like draw from all of the songs you've heard up to this point and put them in a new context to like raise the stakes to the point where it's like I can't go to intermission what if the show
1: starts while I'm still peeing
0: <laughs> I-, I like that your foghorn the- inner- leghorns at this theatrical production
1: <laughs> yeah I was about to say I like that your inner theater goer is a southern grandma <laughs> <laughs> Heavens to mug it. Wait, that's a different. That's, that's, uh. <laughs> Your inner old sweet southern lady is Snagglepuss, apparently. It's,
0: I mean, if the shoe fits. Uh... <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of cool things that the Uncharted games do with their set pieces and also with, like, varying the lengths of them. Like you said, like, that is a set piece that lasts for forever. Whereas, like, the one at the beginning, you know kind of quick sets the tone and then gets out of the way so that you can bring that action back down yeah. uh there's another whole episode we could do and probably will do at some point on like pacing and interest curves and such because that's also a really interesting thing to look at like how you manage that in a piece of theater that could be anywhere from like 45 minutes to three hours versus how you manage it in a video game that someone might be spending 20 30 even 100 hours on
1: um yep uh i i will just say Uh, just to, just to get it out there, after the train, there's, like, I think one quick action set piece where, like, you know, it, it, it kind of glosses through the quote-unquote opening number where Drake, Drake is climbing the train, but then after that, it's kind of him, it's, it's a little slower, like, Drake is wounded, so, like, the, the player doesn't have to do as, um, challenging, like, feats for him, but, um, as he's, as he's, like, regaining his faculties, he will start to fight more and more enemies until, like, there's, like, a tiny... I want to say, like... Like, it's, like, it's not really a set piece, but, you know, it's, like, a little combat section. And then Drake wakes up in a Tibetan village. And the reason why I wanted to get to this part is because it is extremely calm. It is, like, the ultimate, like, you can breathe now. Um, (laughs) Drake, Drake wakes up in a completely peaceful Tibetan village. The only thing he has to do is follow this man to a house on the other side of the village and I think it is one of the a lot of people who play video games like to criticize like walking simulators where you're not really doing anything but walking and letting characters talk that being said I think this is one of the best uses of having a gameplay segment where you are just walking because yeah. it is kind of it is both the it is the eye of the hurricane yeah
0: they they make you earn it they yeah. make you earn this moment of calm and you know because of what game you're playing it's only going to last so long and when it breaks it's going to be big.
1: And like I, I can't speak for musicals too much but I know that in plays the after the explosive action at the end of Act 1 they they kind of ease the audience back in with Act 2 being generally a little bit more like starting a little softer
0: yeah. than where to we use, left off. To use another like to use Hamilton again because not only is it present and a lot of people have either seen it or listened through the soundtrack it's also a really good musical like it is well done and hits a lot of the beats of what like i as someone who likes theater wants to see in a musical um you know their act one ends with the end of the revolutionary war and like them trying to put the pieces together and make a country and act two opens up with like you know introduction of new characters and new stakes, but it starts itself at a much lower key so that you can come back into it and work your way back into the intensity as it goes on. So yeah, that's that's a good thing to bring up, and it's always fun to see games be confident enough with themselves to like put in a moment like that, even if that's not what the game is meant to be.
1: Yeah. um, And there's definitely more set pieces to talk about, but I don't think... I think... They, they would only, like, reinforce the conversation rather than progress it any further.
0: Yeah, those, so, those ones mm-hmm. you brought up are all sort of good examples of the different ways that these sorts of, like, playing it out, shorthands, songs, and action set pieces uh, contribute to the stories that they're telling. Um, so, yeah, we won't keep you, our audience, any longer uh, after we talk a little bit about people we need to thank, and first and foremost among them is you, because, again, we're a real podcast now, and we're out there in the world, and so if you are listening, whether this is your first time joining us or whether or you listened all the way from our really, really rambly episode one, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, we are now on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher, so please, whatever your listening method of choice uh Tell people about us, share us with your friends. Uh, That is how we are going to continue to find listeners and reach more people. Uh, It would also be super, super, super cool if you would leave a review and a rating on iTunes because that will help us move up in their their algorithm and move to maybe show up on like the front page at some point, which would be super cool. That that would would help us reach even more people. Like I. Who knows if that's ever going to happen, but it can with you! Our
1: our listeners are wizards and witches and any other magical being they identify as, and they have the power... I will have you know I am a warlock. They have the power (laughs) to let us soar. So, power's in your hands, guys. Yeah. We love you.
0: You can also please feel free to visit us at our website. That is bsgpod.com. Uh, please drop by. All of our episodes are there. They're available for download directly from our site. We can also... You can read about Dylan and me. Uh, We've got some bio set up. We've got info about the people who have helped us make this podcast. And there's a contact form. So if you have any questions, if there's anything you want to ask us or propose for us for episode ideas, uh, feel free to reach out through there. And we will, of course, uh, credit you if
1: we use your idea. If you would like to check out our social media, we have Facebook, Twitter, YouTube... I'm planning on setting up a Tumblr. Uh I'll talk to that I'll talk about that with you after the recording, Chris. But yeah. uh anyway, uh if you want to hit us up at Twitter, our uh Twitter tag, I forget what it's Candle, called. Candle is, I think. Handle, thank you. Our Twitter handle is Handle Handle. I'm trying to I'm I'm trying to Hondle. be professional. What oh, is this goddamn amateur hour? <laughs> Oh, I can do all the voices in DBZ abridged.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Tell us our goddamn Twitter handle. This is your fault.
1: (laughs) Our Twitter handle is at BSG underscore cast. That's C A S T. People (laughs) know how to spell cast. Shut up. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just trying to be helpful. <laughs> okay. You can hit us up at, are we keeping this in?
0: <laughs> I, I'm going to keep some of it. I could tell you that much.
1: Okay. This is cool. gold. Cool. cool. Uh, You can hit us up at BSG underscore cast at like at Twitter and whatever the Tumblr is, we'll be sure to tell you next episode. Yeah. Also, feel
0: free to tweet about the show using the hashtag #BSGpod. #BSGpod um, Yes, yeah. Uh, I'm again. We're still sort of figuring out what this show will be long term, and I think it would be super cool if there was some room for audience interaction, and that hashtag will probably be part of it. But also, just help us grow the brand. You guys yeah. rock.
1: If you like the logo for our website and various social media, you can hit up our friend Brennan French on his Squarespace, which is Brennan French b-r-e-n-n-e-n hyphen french f-r-e-n-c-h dot squarespace.com you can also please go and check out the musician
0: behind our theme music uh, he goes by bioquery he went to school with Dylan and I he writes a ton of super cool experimental electronic pop music and is constantly putting out uh, new stuff he recently released a music video uh, which is super cool and you can find that on YouTube if you search bioquery um but our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1 Hyphen Instrumentality, is all thanks to him. And you can check him out at soundcloud.com bioquery. That's soundcloud.com slash b-i-o-q-u-e-r-y. Um, we talked in the last couple episodes about our last podcast, Magical History of Knox County. Uh, go give that a listen if you like particularly Dylan's voice and maybe my sense of humor because I was the director uh also our
1: friends are wonderful writers and yeah. you should see what they have created
0: yeah there's a credits page on that website which is magicalhistorypodcast.com uh, there's a little button at the bottom that says who made this and it has a long list of names all of whom are wonderful pe- wonderful all of whom are wonderful people and you should go check them out and
1: support the things that they're working on um I feel like anyone who has ever walked us through a vocal warm-up, is like, and if they are listening to this, they are crying, (laughs) softly weeping right now because we cannot speak for shit.
0: Hi, Ben. Hi, Taz. Uh, (laughs) But anyway, yeah, thank you all for listening. It really has been super cool to see uh, the feedback that we have been getting on episode one, both from close friends and distant friends and occasionally from people that I don't really know all that well, which has been super cool. So please keep sharing us out tell your friends about us help us grow uh and thank you thank you thank you so so much it's super cool <laughs> let's
1: keep this train rolling
0: uh 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 <laughs> <laughs> this is backstage gaming thank you for listening we love you